Hello, I am Lee Hedgebantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers, and you are just about to listen to episode two of our podcast with the New South Wales Blues legends. I would urge you, however, to also listen to part one. All right, now, in relation to you, Stephen, I've got a note here that oh. you played in Manly's first ever game in 1947. No, 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 it wasn't Manly. <laughs> no, 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 my grandfather. Oh, your grandfather. grandfather. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Is that what it says? No, no, it says, it says Mackie. <laughs> yes, uh, that... Mackie Campbell was my grandfather. He played okay. in, um, yeah, Manly's first ever first grade side in 1947. It, it's, it's funny because everyone says, is that why you played? That's why I played. So my, my grandmother on the other side, my, my dad's mum, she sort of took me to my first ever game. She sat in the little corner of Brookvale Oval there. And, you know, I had the Wombat, the P&O, or Wormall jersey with Wombat's number, um, Graham Eady's number on the back. And we used to run on the field and try and grab the corner post. Never got it. But you could run on the field and touch the players. And then you go, where's the next one? And they'd be all sweaty. And just my affinity for, for, for you know, Brookie Oval and, and how good it was. But just come through as a local junior in, in um, for Harbord United and um, tried it for under 15s. wasn't good enough for under 15s. Obviously, come back a couple of years later, played under 17s, and they're pretty much there. That was uh, we played 17s, what 1990, 1992. We played under 19s, and after that, you, you sort of hung around on the, the the bench for 21s. Didn't really get a start, maybe one off the bench, but then um, 93 sort of started in 21s. Played about six games of 21s. Went up to reserve grade, played about six in reserve grade. Then a good mate of mine, Nick Kossoff, got injured uh, and then literally just played first grade and I played about six games that year. Did my media ligament. They're the same boots that he had done his media <laughs> ligament. He'd done a cruciate. Literally, I'd played six games or I played five games and he has mate, I've got these boots of these silky puma things and said, yeah, wear them, wear them. Yeah, I'm not going to use them. I've just done my knee, take them. It's the first game I wore them, boom. Tony Butterfield against Newcastle sat on my knee, like bent sideways. Anyway, so that was it. And then um, come back the next year, 94, and sort of just off the bench the first one. And then that, that was it. And you know, very lucky to play with some amazing players and, and, and teams through, through the year. Now, one thing you can say, of course, that these other two boys can't say is that you only played for the one team. Yes. Is that a badge of honour? Is that something that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, look, look, I am. And then there's a portion of, of, of Northern Eagles in there, but I, I only ever, uh, in some of the history books and stuff, they'll say two teams. Oh, okay. I only ever played a, I only ever signed a, a Manly contract. Okay. So I'd signed, signed a Manly contract. They merged by the time I'd come back to re-sign. So I couldn't just leave. I was signed by Manly. I never signed with anyone else. And it was just, yeah, I, I grew up loving the team. I was a local junior. And for me, it wasn't about the money. Did I get paid? Yes, but... I had a couple of big offers to go to the Roosters uh, and then another in 2001 with the, um, the Yields. And it was for a lot more money. And for me, it was, oh, I'm going to be happy here. It's, mm. it's who I want to play for. And I think you play your best footy when, when you love the team, you love the environment, you love the players. So it, it was an easy decision. And it, you will eventually make money in this mm. game. It, it's No one's ever said, and I always just sort of say to people, no one's ever said to me, you know, I see that guy there, he earned a million dollars more than that guy. Like, it, it's, what did that guy do? What did he stand for compared to that guy? And for me, that's, I played because I loved it and I, I would have played for nothing. Craig, you played for South and, and the Roosters, of course. Now, you're not the only great that moved between the two clubs and there's a long history of animosity there. And I think one of the greatest, of course, to have moved over was Ronnie Coote. And I've had the yeah. opportunity to meet Mr. Coote a number of times and what a gentleman he is. 
but I don't want you to answer this question specifically. But is there a difficulty? I mean, can you attach to one team more than another? Both of them hold a, a special place in your heart. Or if someone asks, you know, what are you? Are you a rooster? Are you a rabbit? Is it? Are you one or the other, or can you be both? Uh, I firmly believe that you can be both. Um, Good answer. My, <laughs> my. The, so the first time I went from the rabbitos to the roosters was a bit out of my control in the sense that that was when the rabbitos got kicked out of the competition. And I wanted to stay in the area, so I went to, to the Roosters. But look, for me, the Rabbitohs were a team that I grew up supporting. My, my parents supported, my grandparents supported them. I grew up in the local area, I went through the junior ranks, so they were always going to be a part of my life. But then going across to the Roosters, they were such a good club. I had all of my, most of my success in rugby league was there. I made all the rep teams through the Roosters, made a lot of friends, uh, really, really good administration, a very, very well run club. And everyone that goes to the Roosters actually ends up loving the Roosters. So it's, it's hard for me to choose one team or the other, um, and which, is, which, is really, which is really weird because most, most Rabbitohs fans hate Roosters fans and most Roosters fans hate <laughs> Rabbitohs fans. But it is what it is. I think that rivalry is quite awesome. But the players are professional enough and, and to once they go from one club to the other to put they're, they're, they're paid and, and, and you pride yourself on doing your best and putting your body on the line for the team that you're playing for. And if, if that's not the way that you think, then you probably won't be in first grade or you probably won't achieve the heights that are possible uh, unless you have that mentality. So same question, Luke. You played in two different teams and won premierships with two different clubs. How do you look back upon them? I mean, can you... Can you separate your lord and your legions, or are you both? Yeah, I'm identical to, yep. to Wingy. I was a young kid, supported Penrith, come through the grades, got to play for a club that I love with all the players I looked up to. Won a grand final at a young age and got to experience a lot of ups and downs. I just signed a new five-year deal at the, at the Panthers, uh, but obviously there was a salary cap drama that had to be fixed up. There was about five of us had to move on. At the same time, I was captain at the time. Uh, I didn't want to be one of those players that sort of you know, stuck around and watched all my teammates disappear. So I was probably, I was the first of the five that nicked off. I think I needed it. I really do. I think I needed a new challenge. I needed to clear my head. You know, I had to start over again. And I got told that, you know, you're only going to really remember what you do for the last five years of your career. So that sort of gave me a bit of a, uh, a bit of a boost and had to go through some rocky roads, obviously, at the Sharks at the time when I first got over there. But yeah, 15, 16, 17, 18, it was absolutely mind-blowing. And to be a part of a team that had won their very first ever grand final, I could never forget it. But my ultimate dream would be Penrith Sharks grand final and, and get to be there and watch it. So, look, I don't have a, a, a favourite. Um, I, I love Penrith and everything, they, every opportunity they gave me. And, again, I'm a massive shark at heart. How many years at Penrith? How many years at the Twelve Sharks? years at Penrith and I think it was seven at Sharks. Yeah, it's a yeah, so amazing career. So many great memories. Mm. You mentioned uh, about wearing Nick Kossoff's boots, yes. uh, Steve. I don't think that would happen today. Have you seen <laughs> some of these apparel contracts that... I'm certain that there are players that never wear a pair of boots twice, that they would have that many shoes. I mean, you just have to follow them on Instagram and see when they get a delivery of boots. And I think even Robbie Farrow, who's retired, is still getting boots delivered to his place. So these boys have got enough boots they could wear a new pair for yeah. every game. I mean, the amount of gear that they get is just is, is next level. Well, it's, it's big business. And yeah. these players are big identities. They're big um, brand and brand ambassadors for, for different sponsors there. So that's... It's obviously, you know, the world has changed. Before it was 
maybe whack someone at a billboard or a mm, magazine. Yeah. Now it's Instagram. It's or all these. Cle- or Cleo's. Cleo's Bachelor. Bachelor of the we, year. Have you got some questions? Can we? No, no, they're, they're, they're coming. Yeah. They're coming. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's big business, and, yeah. and it's 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 part of the the marketing regime to, to get these players in the new boots, get them in the new boots as much as possible. Absolutely. Get along there. I remember when Beaver was playing. It, there was no. You never seen different color boots. There's always black boots. Yeah. Now it's yeah. like. Whoever can wear the most brightest boots. So well, that's all changed as well. I can remember the 75 grand final. I don't know if you boys know Graham Langlands ran yeah, out the white boots. Yeah, white yeah. boots. Yeah. Yeah. Huge kerfuffle. Huge. Yeah. That was a oh, pair of no, white oh. boots that he ran out. And of course, that was the 38 nil. Yeah, 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 the Roosters yeah. what Artie yeah. Beaton these days 90% of players have their socks down I'm a socks up man I'm a socks, socks up man <laughs> you see that's, that's up, old school yeah. having yeah. socks up now it's Stevie Matter I used to tape his socks down like <laughs> this he didn't want them all the way down like three inches he taped them three inches up and then tape them Mate, some of the boys cut them some of the boys cut them so they just throw them straight over the top of the whatever socks they're wearing underneath and just have it there so it looks like they're not even, they don't even go down into the boot oh it's like a, it's like that, a leggy it's yeah. just like a leggy that would annoy yeah, would hell. Hell. what about the boots though when you first started playing they uh, metal boots steel boots steel yeah. studs remember you said yeah. the studs yeah. 22 yeah. mils at the back and yeah. 18 at the front T- today <laughs> there, would, there wouldn't be any steel studs you, know, you have to change them is the ground hard or soft you'd yeah. have to go and get the, the trainer be whipping yeah. out the seven, 18s and putting in 21ers yeah. it might sound weird though every time I wore screwing boots I used to slip more Okay. Uh, especially towards the back end. So yeah. the new moulded studs are unbelievable. But is there steel though? Still available? No, I don't they, think they so. Stay you don't see it. It's all the, it's all the, nah, the you miss the plastic. You know, when, you're, yeah. when you're a kid and you're going in and you yeah, smell good. the denker up and you hear the clank, clank. Well, that, yeah. at, at school, that's is how we can tell the difference between the soccer players and the football players because yeah. they had the metal studs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you walk down the, you know, the footpath yeah. or whatever, you knew exactly who they were. The other interesting thing, Luke, that, um, that Steve mentioned was about money and contracts. Now, what the boys are paid today is just next level stuff and even as the chairman of a club and I see it it is mind-boggling sort of numbers that as I said 99% of the population will never see in their lifetime are players conscious of what other players are getting is it well known in the change room is it the cause of of consternation can it be a problem yeah look at the end of the day I can only talk on my experience my my thing was I was always happy with what I was on I never really cared what other people are on they're on more than me or less than me it never really bothered me is what I did with mine at the end of the day I had some really good people around me smart people who sort of pointed me in the right direction Mm. just to make sure I was investing it right but it's all it's, it's, all more, it's more common knowledge today, though. So yeah, I'm a lot of people. Back a little it's bit all going through the paper you now. You didn't like, know how much mm. people are on, and these days now it's in the paper every day. Every yeah, time someone right. signs in your contract, oh, he just signed for seven hundred fifty thousand, yeah. or he's on a yeah. you know, million dollars a year for ten years, or whatever mm. it is. Everyone finds out what it is about. But yeah, look, at the end of the day, for me, it never bothered me. Uh, I do believe that players do talk about it, um, and now and and people do get their nose up about it a little bit. Mm. But. Um, Look, I go back to when I first started playing and my very first contract was was Donnie and I couldn't imagine how mm. you know how much it changed, but it was all you know, when I bought my first house it was only three hundred thousand dollars. Well, how much? I think my first contract was like two hundred thousand. Shoot. What? My really? first one wow. was nine grand. <laughs> That's what I mean. See, like, yeah, and it's all, but it's yeah. all different. You've got, you got right. guys that are coming That's in right. now and haven't played shillings. first grade. 9,000 shillings. 350,000 without even playing a game. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? I'm out. 200 first contract, I'm out. <laughs> well, I remember Terry Lamb. I had Terry Lamb out here you know, some time ago. We are talking about contract values, whatever. And he always oh. valued his contract according to house prices. How yeah. much he needed to yeah. buy 100%. a house. Yeah. That's, that's how he worked it out. He said, you know, this is what I need to buy a house in Chester Hill or Sefton or whatever. This is what my contract's worth. And he bought a house. That's how he worked it out. But Craig, what about you? I mean, you would have been the, probably the first million-dollar player. <laughs> no, no. I um, my first contract was forty-five grand. I think I played twenty first-grade games that year. But look, I, personally, for what players put their bodies through, I don't think you can pay them enough. 
um, and they do deserve every cent that they get and particularly how much you sacrifice throughout your career. I mean, if you have a long career, effectively pull up stumps in your early mid 30s and then you go and have to start a whole new career. The question, that that's right. Well, then, you're, you're, then what? you're really at the bottom of the rung. So like I'm seeing it now, I, um, I went to Sydney Boys High, I went to school with some, some pretty intelligent guys and um, throughout my career everyone was always talking about how much footy players get it's way too much and yes i guess compared to majority of the population it, it is a lot of money but then you compare it to people that put in the same amount of time effort sacrifice and energy into a professional field and it's really it's chump change mm. you know some of these guys on the incomes that they are if they're working in new york or working in london you know not necessarily put in more effort than I did as a as a football player, but mm. they just followed the path, followed their passion, and, and and they're ultra successful. But no one's having a go at them about what they what they're getting paid. And and, and I think I oh, look players across the board. They're aware of what other players are getting paid, but realistically, well, back in my generation, it was more about the team being focused on the team and being a part of the team. And you got what you got. And if you kind of looked across it, it's, it's all pretty fair. It's all, you know, the better players that do most of the stuff and draw the most attention, they get paid the most. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole hierarchy. I, I, I don't know what it's like now. I do notice that um, it's less about being part of the team is a privilege these days. And it's more about you're an individual, you're a brand yourself, you've got to make as much as you possibly can. Contracts are no longer mm. what they used to be. If you're not happy, then you can get out of your contract and go to another club. Yeah. And that's part, probably part of the mm. game that I don't like at the moment. But look, I'll circle back to what I said before. The, the amount of sacrifice that players go through, the time, effort, energy, we only see them playing on the field on the weekend, but there's a whole lot that goes on during the week. Um, and for my mind, I don't think you can pay them enough. Let's not forget about the scrutiny too that the players go through these days. They do one little thing wrong, they can't even go out and you know they go out and have a feed and they're under the pump. You know, so you know, they're, they're on show. It's it's not like someone that's an accountant or something. No, if they're on show, right. yeah, you know, every day of the week, every night of the week, they go to dinner. They're yeah. they're working. You know, yeah. they're not getting paid for to tackle someone at the restaurant, but yeah. they're working. And you and you're forced yeah. to maintain. Well, particularly these guys. Uh, these days, you, you're forced to maintain a, a, a very vanilla image and, and, and say all the right things and do all the right things. And personally, I think it starts to get a bit boring when yep. you, once you start listening to people being interviewed and, God forbid, someone actually says what they think. Yeah, well, we had one just recently with Toby Rudolph. That's right. Yeah, it was Sun, funny. Sun, it was pretty Sunday funny. Night. He didn't say nothing too bad, no. but it got absolutely... I think the yeah. majority of the people that heard those comments would not have been offended. Well, there might, have, there might have been some that were, but yeah. it wouldn't be the majority of you, I don't yeah. think. But I'll just take on, on board what Luke said as well about the players' salaries being reported so often. Now, you see it in the press all the time, and as the chairman, I know what players are getting paid. Often they're wrong, but they're not far wrong. You know, so you don't know where that information is coming. Whether it might be agents that are leaking it to the press to say, "Look what I look what I was able to get," to, you know, for my client, and hence yeah. why they're looking for more work. But I don't like when they use the number to bash players over the head with. And yeah. the, the best example recently was Josh Reynolds for the West Tigers, yeah. and I know Josh pretty well, and, and even he said this publicly that it was so depressing every day to get up and read your name in the paper and say, Josh Reynolds being paid this yeah. much money and doing nothing, playing reserve grade. He says, it really is depressing. So I don't like when they use it against them because Josh, to his credit and his manager's credit, he negotiated the best contract he could, the West Tigers. The West Tigers agreed to pay it. That's the end of the matter. That's it. That's, and, I'm, I'm sure, and, and the kid gave his best every time he pulled on that job. And, and, and in all reality... Um players don't play for the money the mm. guys that play for the money they're not on the big dollars mm. the guys that play because they just want to be the best they can 
as a byproduct of that, they end up getting the top. They end up getting the top dollar. Yep. All the other stuff that goes around it, you you, you can't really control mm. that. And also, the other thing is, when you're a rugby league player, you're in a bubble. So, and yes, it's a lot of money, but in all honesty, I, I don't think people would notice the mm. difference between um, getting paid five hundred grand a year and seven hundred grand a year. Yep as a player because you, you go through your routine, you get up, have breakfast, go to training, do this, do that, do your promotions, play your game on the weekend and it, you just, you're just in this mm. tiny little bubble. Hopefully the people around you or, or, or your parents or whoever's helping you help you invest it and then you really notice at the back end of your career. Mm. But um, yeah, then they're, they're, they're really not playing for the money. Steve, um, Craig mentioned about players being on show continuously. It would be worse today than it was even when, in your day. And I remember, I think it might have been Blocker that said to me once, if we had mobile phones back in our day, I would, I would never have played uh, rugby league. We'd never have been allowed to play it. And I think Johnny Raper made, made the same comment. He would never have gone on a kangaroo tour given the behaviour back then. Is it too much scrutiny sometimes? Do we expect too much of these boys, more so than any others in the general community? And before you answer, I'll, I'll give you an example. I've got a real issue sometimes that I think the NRL may in fact overstep the mark. There are certain things that players do or have done uh, through no fault of their own, it's circulated in the media and then they're being fined for behaviour which is not illegal or not improper. Mm. Now, a classic incident would be the bubbler incident, of course, Toddy Carney. Mm. Uh, he lost, they tore up his contract over it. Well, what he did was whatever he wanted to do, that, that's his business. Uh, in the privacy of a bathroom, mm -hmm. he didn't take the photo, and from my understanding, he didn't ask for it to be circulated either. What's he getting penalised for, exactly? Uh, there's other videos that have circulated of players partaking in acts which, which ordinarily be kept private, but it's not illegal. So I think sometimes we've got to be very careful that we don't cross over becoming the morals police as well. You've got, you got to remember too, just before Bayou yeah. jumps in, is that they're getting fined too from the NRL. Then they're getting fined from the club, yep. and then they're getting the whatever the other fine is. So they're getting they're getting hit three times, and they're getting the backlash from, mm. and the embarrassment from their friends and family yeah. and yep. all that kind of stuff as well. So one thing I, I think we we're very unique in Australia in that you can actually pull up at a pub or a bar and have have a beer with your favourite sports star. He could be there mm. and he'll have a chat to you, all that kind of stuff. I do really see things going down the path. Fast forward ten years time players pay gets increased um, the scrutiny increases where um, you go to the bar and three or four players will hire out a section of the bar and they're over there you're over here bounces segregating the the, 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 the two sides and you won't even get to talk to them mm -hmm. they won't give you the time of day mm. I'd hate it to go down that path but if if, if the scrutiny continues it'll it'll eventually will mm. I, th I think it can be unfair sometimes like they're they're if it's not illegal, yeah, it's you're stupid. You, you've done the wrong thing, but you haven't, you know, put it out there. You, it's it's not your fault that it, it's been aired. And then I suppose there's the other side. So well, these are the rules of the game. If you want to get paid X amount of dollars, you are under this scrutiny. So it's, I, I, I think it's a balancing, it's a balancing act. act yeah. And I think I think yeah, you know, we can definitely be better yep. um, with with what we thinks you know, put them under scrutiny because. Mm. They're, they're humans, right? Yep. They're, they're kids that are you know, between 20 and you know, 30. And there's, I'm sure there's different professions that have a small percentage of people that do things exactly the same types of things that aren't illegal. It's nothing. But because mm. they don't play rugby league, they're not in trouble for it. Like yeah. it's a bit of a, a double standard. Agreed. Well, there needs to be a bit more transparency as well. Like even to this day, if someone asked me what was Corey Norman fined for that incident, you know, thing, I wouldn't be able to tell them. I mean, from the media reports at the time, there was some racial vilification, I think. Um, Seguiara was with him or something. There was some incident, and, and the suggestion was that Corey might have stepped in to protect Seguiara or whatnot. 
and then Corey got a $20,000 fine. So I still don't understand completely. So the, I think the, the, the NRL could be a bit more transparent because if you go to court, for example, if you're charged with a criminal offence, assault, then it's a, it's a public courtroom. Everyone knows exactly what the facts are and then you can say, well, this is what happened and this is the fine that he got. But with the NRL, sometimes we don't know details of what the offence are, but we do know details of the penalty. So there's there's a bit of a miscommunication. I think, I think we can get better. We can, we can, we get, can better. get a little bit better. All right. Now, in terms of your playing careers, getting back to the reason why you boys came here in the first place, <laughs> we mentioned Japan earlier. Yeah. Uh, Craig, you spent uh, a bit of time there. Yeah. Your thoughts? How do you look back on that with fond memories? I do. I do. Very fond memories. Actually, it was a it was a very good transition to retirement for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually went. I went planning to go for two years just to experience another country, another culture, um, get back to rugby union, which I played through high school as well. Um, but it's a little bit of a different dynamic in Japan. They place less emphasis on age and more emphasis on um, how the team's performing. So if your team's performing, they just keep offering you a contract after contract after contract. So I ended up staying for six years um, and got the chance to play international football again when I played for the national team in the 2015 World Cup, which was pretty special. Uh, immersed yourself in the Japanese culture? I did as much as I could. My first year or two, I actually learned a fair bit of Japanese because I took lessons. My second year, I had a Japanese coach. Uh, but then I ended up getting a South African coach and that's when my Japanese skills uh, plateaued and if anything they probably went backwards. But great place to play, great place mm. to play rugby. The language barrier was a little bit tough at the start probably for the first six months and you never really get the gist of it in the sense of yes you're on the field, you can call plays, you can call the game plan and all that kind of stuff but if you're just trying to tweak a, a move whilst you're out on the field like saying hey instead of running the inside shoulder on this, this line let's let's run outside and we'll get this guy to come around here and we'll do that a little bit different that was near on impossible to, mm. to organize on the field with the language barrier but um yeah it was a it was a, it was a great experience playing over well there. and i'm sure the 25 million yen a year probably made it easier <laughs> to, to assimilate in the culture as well the yen made a big difference but that was actually when the australian uh the australian dollar was strong oh, the whole yeah. career the whole career <laughs> get the violins the australian dollar was strong so, yeah, yeah no very true no no it was, it was good fun a really All good right. fun uh, Luke, uh, what position did you play when you debuted? Oh, when I debuted, I played on the wing. What position were you playing when you retired? Back row. Okay. Was that always the ambition, you think, or was it just that you outgrew wing or you slowed down, or what was the case? Yeah, I don't know how it, how it worked, but I was always open to playing different positions my whole career. Even when I was a young kid, I liked to get changed around. It sort of kept it pretty fresh for were you, me. Were you in the centres for a time there or not? Yeah, I played in the centres as well. I actually ended up playing uh, pretty much nearly every position, I think, on the field, which was quite fun uh, and I think it kept it it kept the game uh, really enjoyable for me so I remember I broke my finger against the Bulldogs in a trial game Matty Elliott was coaching uh, come back about four weeks later he just started me on the bench Adam Warner got injured against the Tigers and he said mate you got to go on and play lock I never played lock before uh, went on had an absolute ball loved it and never moved from there so I ended up staying there then played half five eight but I still think um, the toughest position I had to transition uh, transition to was I had to play hooker one game. <laughs> I don't know how he did it and, and, and still stays beautiful looking as he is. But um, look, yeah, had to make 50 million tackles in the middle, had to be at every ruck. You had to make sure your skill out of dummy half was spot on. And if it wasn't hitting them on the chest or out in front, they were blowing up at you. So um, I think number nine was probably the toughest part to get used to. Mm. Is there a favourite position? 
yeah, definitely 13. 13. I loved it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I enjoyed playing on on the edge, and I didn't really care where it got put as long as it was the best thing for the team. But 13, he could be in everything. He could be in the defence. He could be playing with the ball, running. Uh, the game never, ever leaves you by. And you're is, running at halfbacks as well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is, is the 13 today different to the 13 when you played? Well, when I was playing 13, it, it sort of went back to more like a Bradley Clyde sort of type. You'd yep. run holes. You could be a bit more ball playing, offload, uh, just play football. Mm. Uh, then I think it sort of changed back to becoming more of a, fr- a front row in the, in the number 13. But I do believe that Victor Radley's starting to change that. Ag- I, I think he's forcing his ball movement through the middle, uh, connecting both edges. Um, is really starting to come through this game. So I think a, a number 13 who can ball play is the way to go. Yeah, well, I think Joey uh, said the other day that uh, Victor's the best ball playing forward in the game at the moment. You've got Connor Watson, you know, and, um, and, the, and the West Tigers, of course, have just signed Jackson Hastings. And I think the idea that he may play that sort of role as well, that utility yeah. role. I like, I like uh, uh, Jake Trebojevic, uh, uh, yeah, Jake yeah, Trebojevic like, as well in the middle. Um, I think with his brother back and the ball <coughs> movement through the middle looks awesome. So Well, he, he's unique, isn't he, Jake? I mean, it's almost uh, 13 slash 6. He's almost like a ball playing 5-8. Well, a lot of them play that second, second man play and they, they, they you know, most teams need a, a player mm. like that, whether it's your front row or it's the 13, that someone can go to the line with someone outside and hit that player at the back. It's, it's really essential. In and threaten game. to run at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you played um, your entire career in the forwards. <coughs> Yes. But you did dabble a little bit elsewhere yeah, from I, time I, to time? Yeah, no, if someone um, went down or something, they flicked me in the centres. I started one game in the in the centres and didn't wear the headgear. Ooh. I looked like I looked like a weirdo. Oh, Steve. As opposed to with that with that hell. But other than that, yeah, pretty much second no. row, a little bit of lock, but that that's about it. Okay. But just on that though, with your headgear. Well, yeah. Was that was that like a superstition <coughs> thing or was it something that No, we're about fifteen. Um, for some reason, about six guys in the team said, oh, let's start wearing headgear, and we all whacked it on, and 30 seconds in, they all went, this is torture, and just <laughs> took it off, and I, and I left mine left on, on, and that was it. Next week, mouth guard, footy boots, headgear. For the next that 40 years. Would you would yeah. you recommend players to wear headgear today as a, like for precautionary reasons? Oh, I, I mean, did, I just it, think, did it help you? Give, did it give you confidence? Yeah, look, it definitely gave me confidence. If it, <clears throat> if it came off, it wouldn't bother me. Mm. Um, concussion... Obviously, is an issue, but the headgear, you know, would would do some sort of help. I don't have the research. Yep. Obviously, head knocks and cuts. Oh, it's got to, it's got to help with the head knocks. It has to help. With so the head knocks. It, I, I just think it's good to see so many kids wearing it these mm. days, which is I think for the you know what we sort of touched on earlier about mums and dads saying this is a safe game. The more we can have kids wearing it, um, the safer they feel and the more confident they are playing the game. Yeah. Speaking of head knocks, um, <coughs> is there more concussion in the game today, or are we just more alert to it? I think there's more. I, I, I don't have the stats. I just think yeah. there's bigger, faster. You know, our skulls haven't evolved over the past, <laughs> you know, 15 years of rugby yeah. league. But you know, the, the body types from you know 20, 30 years ago is completely different today. You know, and it's, and I think the bigger and heavier collisions. Mm. Um, but where the, the good side of it is, we're looking into research. We're looking into there's protocols. We're trying to keep up with the the information that we're getting on hand. Let's how do we how do we make this safer? How do we you know guard against um, you know, any any issues that may arise? Mm. I think with the head knocks too, we see because it's so uh, documented now. We've obviously what happened over overseas in the NFL and yep. it's come back and we're getting so many different checks and there's all these new um, concussion rules that you got to go through. We're definitely seeing a lot more uh, purely because of that. Uh, but I remember watching the game when I first come through. Mate, some of the, he- yeah. the hits around the head were a lot worse than what yeah. we're seeing today. I, I, th- I think we're mm-hmm. just more attuned to it now. Yeah. Um, and even the slightest hint of a head knock They're off. gets registered. Absolutely. And I guess we think it's a head knock. Yep. Um, uh, it's a, we think it's a concussion. So I, I remember 
plenty of games mm. through throughout my career where players were getting knocked out, even even myself to a certain extent. But it, you'd stay on the field and it wouldn't even register a blip on any kind of report. And the test that you've got to do now to come back yeah. on the field, is the reason why we see it as well is that we don't see players return as much because the test is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like it's actually hard to do as yeah, you you know, stock standard. You well, they, they benchmark you testing to yeah. what you did earlier in the year is, and they use yeah. that as a benchmark. Mm-hmm. And if you fail that, that's right. And the yeah. protocol is if you're not well, you lose the next week as well. It's got to be yeah. a certain... Ten certain, days. Ten day turnaround. And the weekend. other thing too is that you've got the, the doctor... Who does even if you do pass the test, it's mm. got to be back on him, right? So he's got yeah. to say, "Look, I'm happy for you to go back on." But yep. who's going to put themselves in that situation of mm. putting someone else in harm's way? So no. it's a tough one. Very true.